But we're in Leviticus, and we've, as we've been going through the Pentateuch, what we've been seeing is that in the Pentateuch, we see uh, Jesus Christ. As Moses communicates these things from the Lord, uh, we, we see in all these things, all of them pointing to Jesus and his uh, perfect sacrifice. In fact, last week, as we looked at the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we saw these five different offerings that are offered, and we saw how each of these offerings points to a need that human beings have, and how all of those needs are met in our perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we're talking about a priesthood. So, when those sacrifices are made, how are the, the benefits applied to people? How are they communicated to people? How, how, how are they mediated? And, and it requires a priesthood. A priest is a person who mediates between people and God, who facilitates worship, who proclaims holiness and, and separation for God. And so as we look at chapters eight through nine, we're looking eight through ten, we're looking at the Levitical priesthood. We're looking at this priesthood that God established, and in this priesthood we're seeing some things about our perfect priest, about Jesus Christ. And hope, so hopefully uh, this is encouraging to you this morning. Uh, this is probably not a section of Scripture that your Bibles just naturally fall open to from uh, repeated use, but Leviticus chapters 8 through 10 uh, proclaim some very encouraging truths for us, and so I, I pray that you are encouraged as well. So if you're able to, I'm going to read some portions from each chapter, and if you would stand with me, Again, if you're able to, in honor of God, as we read his word together. Begin in chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash round his waist and clothed him with a robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod round him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him. In the breastpiece, he put the urim and the thummim, and he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. As you go through the rest of chapter 8, we see again just this, this time of preparation, this consecration of Aaron and his sons, this ordaining them to the priesthood. And then in chapter 9, they begin their ministry. They begin to offer sacrifices for the people. You go down to chapter 9, the end of verse at uh, the end of chapter 9, beginning in verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Coming to chapter 10, verse 1. Now, 
Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. And so they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Father, we do ask for your blessing upon this time. We pray that we would treat you as holy, and that you would set us apart to be those who proclaim your excellencies to the nations. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we went through the book of Exodus, we saw that God called the people of Israel to be a nation of priests. Exodus 19, he says you're you're to be a, a nation of priests. In other words, the people of Israel were to be those who communicated God's glory to the nations. They were to to mediate between God and the peoples of the earth. They were to proclaim his his holiness, to facilitate worship. And as we saw, as we went through the book of Exodus, they they failed in that task, right? And they they failed very quickly. They made a covenant with God, and then right after that covenant, there was the sin of the the young bull, the the golden calf, that idol. And so they, they failed in that. Here in Leviticus 8 and 9, we see the establishment of the priesthood. These priests that are to facilitate between God and man, who are to proclaim his holiness, to facilitate worship. And we're going to see them established in chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 10, there's going to be failure. Now, the people of Israel are not the only people who are called to be priests. In the New Testament, we see that we're to be priests as well. That Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter 2, 5, that we're living stones, we're being built as a spiritual house to be a, a holy priesthood. John says in the book of Revelation that Jesus has made us a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. So in other words, you and I are called to be priests. You and I are called to be those who who proclaim God's holiness, who facilitate worship to the nations. And that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. 
Now, what gives you and I any sense of hope that we will be any better priests than the priests in the Old Testament who fail not only in the Pentateuch, but, but throughout the Old Testament we see failure? What gives you and I hope that we will be any better priests than they were? In fact, as we, we think about our, our own situation, I'm sure all of us can think of specific instances of failure in our priesthood. I can think of one just, just this last week. I, I was uh, reached out to by a friend from college who asked me to kind of talk with him about some health issues that he was going through, and so we, we talked, and I had every intention of of praying with him. I mean, just, just a basic thing. Like I pray with people all the time. And yet, for whatever reason, as we got to the end of the conversation, I, maybe I was embarrassed as the person. You know, he doesn't know me as a pastor. I'm a college man. I, I don't, whatever it was, I just ran out of time. I didn't pray with him. Something so, so basic in my, my task as, a, a, as part of, of God's family to, to reach out and to proclaim his excellency, to facilitate worship, I, I missed what gives you and I hope? What gives me hope is, is not looking back at the Old Testament priesthood. In other words, I don't say, you know what, I think I'm going to do okay because I'm going to try to do what they did. Or, hey, you know what, I might, I might do some, some things, but at least I won't be as bad as they were. That, that's not what gives me hope. What was the Old Testament priesthood? Remember what we saw in Hebrews? What, is, what does the writer of Hebrews tell us about what the, who the priests are and, and about their ministry. Remember that? We looked at this a while ago. Hebrews 8.5 says that the priests serve as a, a copy and, and a shadow of another ministry, the ministry of Jesus. Hebrews 8.6 says he has a, a better ministry. In other words, what we see happening in these chapters that we're looking at this morning is an illustration. It's, it's, it's a copy. It's a shadow of the ministry of Jesus as priest. You say, well, okay, so we're going to look at the, the priesthood, and we see that they point us to some, to some things that Jesus does. Does that mean that my hope lies in, in copying Jesus? In other words, okay, I, I, I can't be a successful priest by copying those priests. Maybe I can become a successful priest by copying Jesus. I see what Jesus did. I just try to, to do those things. no. That's not what gives me hope either. What gives me hope is that these Old Testament priests that we see in chapters 8 through 10 of Leviticus are meant to point us to a better priest. And what gives me hope is that better priest is my priest. And he ministers to me and through me. In fact, that's, that's the main thing that I want us to think about this morning. This is the main, the main idea I want us to, to grasp. Christ, our perfect priest, exercises his priestly office to minister to us and through us. Jesus Christ, what we see in, in chapters 1 through 7 are all these sacrifices that are needed. And then in chapters 8 through 10, we realize, okay, someone needs to take those sacrifices and, and mediate them. We need, we need someone to, to take the sacrifice and say, okay, here's the benefit. And, and that's Jesus. 
And he takes, not only is he the perfect sacrifices that those other sacrifices point to, he is the perfect priest who mediates those sacrifices to us. As I look at these chapters, I understand Jesus' ministry to me and through me, and it gives me hope of success. Christ, my perfect priest, exercises his priestly office perfectly. And he does it to minister to us and then through us. So let's, let's do this. Let's look. We'll see how this goes. I was talking in short sentences first service. We didn't get through very much, but we'll see how it goes here in uh, second service. We're going to look at, at, we're going to look at the, the priesthood in the chapters here, and then we're going to, to see what aspect of Jesus' ministry these are a shadow of, what they point us to, what they illustrate, okay? So here's the first thing. Christ, our priest, cleanses us from sin. There's something we encounter as we look at the priesthood here in the Levitical system that, that points us to this truth. Christ, our priest, cleanses us from sin. Let's look at, first of all, at what's happening here in chapter 8 with this, this priesthood that God establishes through Moses. You come into this chapter, and it doesn't just begin with Moses telling Aaron, okay, Aaron, go out there and do your sacrifices. And Aaron goes, okay, come on, boys. And they get out and they start offering the sacrifice. That's, that's not what happens. It says here, look, look what happens. It says that Moses first brings Aaron and his sons. He washes them in verse 6. And then he puts clothes on them, right? He puts the, the priestly garments on Aaron. He sets the, gives him the robe, he gives him the, the belt and the breast piece, and he puts the urim and the thum in there in verse 8, and puts a turban on his head, and he gives him the uniform. He's wearing the uniform. But he's, he's still not ready. He still doesn't just begin offering sacrifices. You come to verse 10, and there's, there's consecrating taking part. There's, there's, there's setting apart. They, first of all, they, they consecrate the tabernacle. That's set apart. That's established for, okay, this is, this is where we're going to offer these sacrifices. This is what's going to take place in this area. There's consecrating that takes place of Aaron and his sons. But they're, they're still not ready to begin their priestly ministry. What has to happen? Sin has to be dealt with. And so what happens? Well, first of all, there's the bull of the sin offering. Remember the, the sin offering was this offering that, that cleansed the space. That You saw that sin permeates. And so what happens here is that, that sin that, that permeates is dealt with first. And then you come into to verse 18 and there's the burn offering. So the sin is atoned for. It says that the ram of the burnt offering is offered, and Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the ram. They're, they're identifying them, themselves in, in a need uh, for this, this sacrifice, and Moses offers this sacrifice for them. I want you to notice something else as you go through this chapter. Notice how many times we see that they're being obedient to what God has commanded. So, for example... You come to the end of verse 9. 
This is as the Lord commanded Moses. You come to verse 13. It's as the Lord commanded Moses. You come to verse 17. It's as the Lord commanded Moses. You come to verse 21. It's as the Lord commanded Moses. Each time you, you come to the end of the paragraph, you see this is in obedience to what God has commanded through Moses. These priests have sin that needs to be dealt with. They aren't in a, a situation where they can just kind of take on the priestly robes and say, okay, now let's start offering sacrifices. The sin must be dealt with. Now, what's, what's that a shadow of? How does that, how does that illustrate who Jesus is and what he does? We know that Jesus is a perfect priest. His sins don't need to be dealt with. Hebrews 7 says that it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. But what does that mean that he's able to do? Hebrews 2, verse 17 says, He was made like his brothers. He became a man so that he might become what? a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does this mean about Christ and his ministry to us? Before you and I can do the ministries that God has called us to do, before we can can live in the way that he has called us to live, Something needs to happen to us. And my hope of this thing happening to me is not on the basis of me choosing to have my sin cleansed. My basis for hope is in Jesus cleansing me through faith. This is nothing that I can do in and of myself. Here's a very interesting thing, and we're going to come back to this later, but, but, but the, the thing we need to realize is that apart from Christ, our priest, work in our life, we can't, even, we can't even think rightly about life. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our, our condition before God, how we were dead in our trespasses and sin. It says we, we, we used to live like the Gentiles. We used to live like the world. We carried out the desires of the body and, and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, apart from God's divine intervention in our life, we were dead in sin. We had no ability to, to live rightly or even think rightly about how to live. Ephesians 4 says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. What is he saying here? Apart from God's divine work in our life, even what we foundationally believe to be true is wrong. Our understanding about life and how to live it and our purpose, we're darkened, we're alienated from the life that God has called to us. And so we, we live in accordance with, with wrong thinking. We live on the basis of a foundationally wrong thinking. I heard someone talking this past week about 
his wife, and he, he was saying, you know, they live in Houston, and he said his, his, wife was, um, his wife was talking about the Super Bowl with one of her friends, and she goes, look, I, I know nothing about the Super Bowl. They, they live in Houston. He says, I, I know nothing about the Super Bowl. All I know is that uh, we have to provide a lot of snacks for some friends that are coming over this week, and I know that, it, that Houston Texans are one of the teams because it's here in Houston. Now, if you know, if you watch the Super Bowl, you know the Houston Texans weren't one of the teams. Houston was just the, the area that was hosting the game. In other words, even the, like the one thing she thought she knew about the game, she didn't actually know. The same is true for you and me. Sometimes we think, okay, I may not know, but I have this. And what we see, apart from Christ, even that, that foundational knowledge that we think we have, we don't have that foundational knowledge we need to live our lives. Christ, our priest, cleanses us from sin. 1 John 1 says, The, the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. To have... What does it mean here to have a priest like Jesus? My hope here is not in my basis, in, in my ability to save myself. My hope is in a, a high priest who cleanses me from sin. You say, okay, Daniel, what do, I, what do I do with that knowledge? It's very important for us to not believe that we take this knowledge and then and then. Respond to it with, with works, right? How do we receive Christ's cleansing? Through faith alone. What this knowledge helps us do is, is live rightly in accordance with who God has made us to be. On Monday nights, we have uh, several classes here at the church. We have the, the Gospel Institute. The counseling class is offering classes on Monday nights. We just finished up the, the teaching class. And uh, one of the students in the teaching class was Michelle T. Meyer. And uh, all, all the students just did a great job. She had a really good illustration that she gave the class as uh, she was talking about our identity in Christ. She has a young daughter. She says sometimes her, her daughter has a much different personality than she does. You know, her, her daughter is really just this beautiful extrovert, and, and Michelle would say she's a little bit more introverted. And she says it's, it's been helpful for her as she, she parents and shepherds her child to kind of talk with her child about her personality, to kind of rejoice with the Lord in the way that he's made her daughter. Just, it was just a beautiful story. I wish she could, could, she, she could tell it. But she's, she said that you know, she, she helps her daughter think about who she is, and she goes, you know, you are, you're beautiful, you're, you're, a, you're a person who desires to be kind, you're brave, you're a person who is loved by God, just kind of affirming different things about her personality. You, you like talking to new people, just, just affirming those things. And then she says, because she affirms those things with her daughter when they're just talking in the evening or something like that, when her daughter finds herself in situations where maybe she doesn't want to act like she should, Michelle can kind of remind her, hey, remember what we talked about? Oh, we talked about how you're a person who wants to be kind. Let's be kind in this situation. Remember how you're, we talked about how you're a person who likes to, to meet new people? Why don't, why don't you go say hi to that, that little girl? Who are you and I? You and I are people who are not prepared in and of ourselves to minister to God, but God in his grace through his son Jesus cleanses us from sin. Now, who are we? We're we're children of God. Here's the second thing I want us to see. Christ, our priest, ordains us for ministry. Here in in chapter 8, 
there is this, this ordination that takes place beginning in verse 22. There's this ram for ordination. This, this ram for ordination is part of the fellowship offering, the peace offering that we talked about last week. It's, a, it's an offering that was often offered in conjunction with, a, with a, a covenant being ratified. And so you would offer some of it on the altar and then, then you would eat part of it in, in fellowship with other people as well. And so they offer this, this ram of ordination. It says here that they, they um, lay hands on the head of the ram. It's, it's a ram of ordination. That word ordination, ordination by the way, it's a word that means to, to fill, and it was kind of a shortened form of to fill the hands. And so later as you go through the, the chapter, uh, beginning in, in verse uh, 27, it says that he, he put all these, that's the sacrifices, in the hands of Aaron and the hands of his son. Uh, then they, this was an ordination, it says in verse 28. And so what it means here is, is to, to place in the hands of him. And so what, what's happening in ordination, in ordination is that the hands are being filled. A ministry is being, being given to someone. As we come to the end of chapter 8, Aaron and his sons have been ordained. They've been, been given a ministry to do. Now, how does that relate to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was ordained by God. He was given a ministry, appointed by God. Hebrews says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. In Hebrews 5.5, 5, it says, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by by God the Father, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Hebrews 5.10, he was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now again, Jesus as our high priest, then, who's been appointed by God and is faithful to God, this high priest ordains you and I. He appoints us to ministry. Ephesians 2 that we looked at earlier, verse 10 says, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in them. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of, uh, of my ordination certificate. It's very lovely. It's very prestigious. Um, I'm, very, I'm a very special person. But so are you. So are you. I got this uh, ordination certificate in March of 2005, and it was, it was a culmination of, of several years of ministry and of men speaking into my life and, and, and women affirming this ministry and saying, yeah, we, we believe that you're called to this ministry. This was in 2005. In 2001, 2002, 2003, and 2004, in each of those years at various points, uh, I tried to quit, <laughs> sometimes more passionately than others. But after March of 2005, people coming alongside me, laying hands on me and saying, no, this is, this is what we believe you're called to do. I didn't struggle with that in the same way again. Why? Because as ministry got tough, I said, you know what? This, this is a tough ministry, and yet I know this is, this is what God has called me to because other people have affirmed this. Now, you may not have a spiffy little uh, ordination certificate like I do. You can come see mine if you want to. But you've been ordained by God. In fact, you have a more, you have a, you have a, a ordination that is, that is even more sure in the sense that you know that God has ordained you, has set you apart to minister for him. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. In other words, every believer 
Every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who Jesus the high priest is, is cleansed from sin, every believer has received a gift. Now use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As a believer, there is an inescapable call on your life to minister because Christ, your high priest, has ministered to you. He's given you, he's ordained you to this ministry. Here's a third thing I want you to think about very quickly here. Third thing we see as we look at chapter 9. It's that Christ, our priest, proclaims his gospel through us. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about chapter 9. Chapter 9, we see Aaron and his sons now now doing the ministry they've been called to do. And in this chapter, we see them offer four of the offerings we mentioned from last week. They, they offer the, the burnt offering. They offer the sin offering, the fellowship offering. The grain offering is offered with the sin offering. They, they, they go through and they, they perform these different offerings. And as they do, what do they do? What are they doing? They're being obedient to God. Again, you see that, that phrase over and over again. They're, they're being obedient to what God had commanded. And we also see that they're proclaiming the gospel. Remember, as we looked at these offerings, we saw how they proclaim our, our gospel needs and how those gospel needs are met in Christ. Sin is, the, the, our need for a Savior is proclaimed. The reality of sin is proclaimed. The, the idea of trusting in Jesus, uh, trusting in, in God for his provision of, of an offering. All these things are proclaimed through these sacrifices. The essence of the gospel is communicated again and again and again. We see that the message that they're proclaiming is a message of of blessing, of salvation. We see God respond to their faith, and in verse 24, fire comes out before the Lord and, and consumes the burnt offering, the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they, they shouted and fell on their faces. We know, and we'll talk more about this, we talked some about this last week, we'll continue that, that Christ our priest proclaims his gospel through us as well. Here's a fourth thing that I want you to see. Christ, our priest, reveals his holiness through us. You come to chapter 10. The priesthood has been established in chapter 8. They begin to offer sacrifices in chapter 9. Chapter 9, by the way, takes place one week after chapter 8. And then we come and we see a very sad story of Aaron's sons. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and, and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. So what is that unauthorized fire? Some translations say strange fire before the Lord. What is that? We're, we're not exactly sure what this is, but perhaps some people have speculated that perhaps they were, they were drunk because later in the chapter it's going to talk about how they're to refrain from strong drink. Perhaps that's what ta- was taking place and they, they're drunk and they're trying to enter the tent of meeting, the, the holy place. We don't know exactly what they did. We just know that the pattern has been broken, right? Chapter 8, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded. Chapter 9, as Moses commanded. They do this as Moses commanded. They're being obedient. And now, now it's not commanded. They did it as they had not been commanded to do. It says that fire comes out, it consumes them. And Moses says to Aaron some very hard words. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. 
and before all the people I will be glorified. What do we do with a a story like that? First of all, we understand this. Priests are responsible for being aware of and protecting and promoting God's holiness. This is a passage that as we think about our own responsibility to be priests before God to the nations, it's a passage that God graciously puts here to, to warn us. This is a this is a serious thing, and his holiness is a, a valuable thing that must be protected. And God actually here, his stopping this from taking place is actually a sign of his grace because he will not allow the people to have a faulty understanding of how worship of him takes place. God graciously, quickly, and powerfully puts a stop to a false gospel message being proclaimed to the people. Now, now, how does this relate to you and me? I was praying that my voice would make it this far, so praise God, because I think this is such a huge issue. I think this is the point of thinking about the priests. Jesus Christ is absolutely holy, right? It says, unlike Nadab and Abihu, unlike that the priests... He could enter once for all into the holy places. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. And he, didn't, he did it not by the mean of, means of blood and goats. In other words, Jesus didn't have to sacrifice some, some animals and say, okay, I got the blood and goats, now I can enter the holy place. It says that Jesus, by the, the means of his own blood, was entered into the, for, for once for all into, into the holy place and secure an eternal redemption. It says, Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters in the holy places every year with blood not his own. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of what? Of himself. Christ, our priest, ministers to us and through us. And he calls you and I to be holy as God is holy. Now, what is my hope of holiness? And how am I going to not be guilty of offering unauthorized fire before the Lord? Think about what God has called you and I to just as the, the sacrifices we, we see in the Old Testament are pictures of something else, God calls us to have our entire lives be a sacrifice offered to him. We see that in the book of Romans. Our lives are to be this, this offer of, of sacrifice to him. Now, how in the world can we have hope of, of holiness? How can we, as we look at our own lives and recognize our failures, how can we grow in holiness? Here's my hope. My hope is that Jesus Christ is my perfect high priest, and he's ministering to me and through me. So, this is so dangerous for a church. I want to be very careful here. Sometimes when a church says, hey, we want to be a church that's serious about holiness, we come to this passage and we see that, that a lack of holiness costs some people their lives. We say, no, I, I, want to, I want to be faithful to this ministry God has called me to. Sometimes the danger can be, okay, we are going to say, 
We're going to do these five things to be holy. We look at, here's this holy guy over here, and he reads his Bible every day, and he prays for half an hour, three times a day, and he doesn't, he doesn't swear, and he doesn't kick puppies, okay? Never. So what am I going to do? I want to be holy, so I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray for half an hour, three times a day. I'm going to not use any bad words or kick any puppies. Like super legalists, no cats either. What's, what's the danger there? What's the danger? The danger is that I've, I've said, okay, I'm, now I've got these things I can do, and that will create the holiness that I need. Brothers and sisters, we pursue holiness by pursuing the beauty of Jesus, our, our priest. He said, well, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> how, how, do I, how do I pursue the beauty of Jesus? And again, I want to be careful because I don't want to say, hey, do this, do this thing, and, and then you'll be holy. But let me give you an example of something that I've found very effective in, in my life as I've tried to pursue holiness. One of the things that I think God allows us to do, to, and one of the things he's told us we can do, is, is come to him in his word. A few, mention, a few weeks ago I mentioned that um, I was thinking through Psalm 40, verse 5. With Psalm 40, verse 5, says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. And I, I said I was meditating on that because um, I can sometimes complain about things. Now, what is complaining? Complaining is what we saw earlier. That's, that's thinking like a Gentile. That's Gentile thinking. That's, that's the old way, that the way this is, okay, I'm not happy. People aren't being nice to me, so I'm you know, blah, you know, just blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, that's, that's wrong thinking. So what do I do? I, I, I've tried to meditate on Psalm 40, verse 5. This is truth. You have multiplied. So not just you've thrown me a couple bones, God, but you've multiplied. You've multiplied your wondrous deeds and, and your thoughts toward us. Right thinking says, I've been, I've been blessed beyond measure. So I meditate on that. Helps me think rightly. Live holy. Then I, this, this past week, I, I kind of started thinking about the next phrase in that verse. It says, uh, you've multiplied, O Lord, our God, Lord my God, your, your wondrous deeds and thoughts towards us. And then in the next phrase it says, none can compare with you. Now sometimes when I'm, when I'm struggling, sometimes I can be ups, upset or sometimes I can be, uh, the world can be very appealing to me or material things can be appealing. So what do I do? I think about that verse, none can compare with you. Whatever this, whatever, whatever sin a person wants to commit or whatever uh, wrong attitudes a person wants to have, whatever material things a person wants to have, whatever worldly thing it is instead of God a person is tempted to, we, we meditate on Psalm 40 verse 5. No, no, no. Truth is that none can compare with God. Nothing, that, nothing I can think of is better than God. Now, now how, does this, how does this help us? It helps us in so many ways. It helps us behold the beauty of Jesus in our priest. But it also helps us in this way. When my thinking is wrong, when I'm tempted to go down, down negative thought patterns, when I'm tempted to think wrong thoughts, when I'm tempted to think selfish things, stopping my thoughts and forcing myself to, to meditate on Scripture stops me in my tracks. Now, maybe some of you have, like, super brains, and you can, like, think about bad things and good things at the same I, I can't do that. Forcing myself to meditate on that Scripture helps me behold the beauty of Jesus. Last two things, and we won't. I was just going to say them. The other thing we see are Christ, our priest, prepares 
his people through us. And we see this in Levitical priesthood. They're preparing the people to know God, discern. God, our, Christ our priest, prepares his people through us as well. And the last thing, Christ our priest shows his grace through us. He shows his grace through us. As you come to the end of Leviticus chapter 10, we see an example of God's grace. Aaron has not been completely obedient to all the rules and regulations. And he says, look, I was in this situation. This is why I did what I did. And, and Moses says, okay, that, that, that's all right. He approves. Even in our failures, as Christ ministers in, our, in his perfect priesthood, he shows grace. He shows grace through us. It's an amazing section of Scripture written thousands of years ago, and yet it's, it speaks to you and me as it tells us how we are to think about God and his calling. Christ, our perfect priest, ministers to us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, our perfect priest. We pray that we'd be faithful in the ministry that he has called us to, not on the basis of our own works, but on the basis of us clinging to Jesus who works through us. Give us your grace, we pray, as we continue to go through this book. Reveal your holiness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.